seems like it's getting darker. When the, when the darkness gets darker, the light shines brighter, amen? If I had a flashlight shining now into this room with all these lights on, you could barely see it. But if you turned every single light out and it was pitch black, even a small beam would penetrate the darkness. And that's how you and I are. I and mean, when it gets dark, don't get scared, just shine brighter. Amen. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 in just a moment. I'm going to read verse 14 through 17. 17 ends a, a little bit abruptly. And uh, for effect, I'm going to stop right there because it's our focal point of our text this morning. But let's thank the Lord for the word. Father, we thank you for the word. And we thank you that we could be here on this Sunday, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as we've opened our hearts up during worship, that the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth of this word to us and drive it deep into the recesses of our heart, that it would never leave us. Father, I pray this morning that what we learn from Ephesians 6, chapter uh, verse 17, would never leave us, but it would produce fruit in us according to your will. I ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Ephesians 6, 14, the armor of God. Listen. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 17 is our target, and take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that the last time we were in this text, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the last time we were in this text, Pastor Mike preached to us last week, but the last time we were here, we talked about the helmet of salvation. And hopefully you have your helmets on today. Amen. We are a helmet-wearing generation. When I was a kid, there was no such thing as a helmet. We made ramps out of plywood and two-by-fours and flew our bikes into the woods. But we wear helmets, so we get what a helmet's for. It's to protect us. We learned last time we were in this verse that the helmet of salvation protects our thought life. How's your thought life today? Are you policing what you're thinking about? You know, we are responsible to control what goes on. Just because a thought pops into our head doesn't mean we should entertain it. Some thoughts that pop into our head need to be put right out of our heads instantly. Any thought that we dwell on will take root and produce fruit. And by the time we've thought of something so long that it gets into our hearts, then we begin to act out on it. That's why it's so important that we're careful of what we see and what we hear and what we expose ourselves to. So the helmet protects our thought life. And we learn that we have to captivate our thoughts and cast down imaginations and take control of anything that contradicts the word of God. God's word says this, but the world says something different. When those thoughts pop in, we cast them down and we align ourselves with the word. Come on, let me hear an amen. amen. The helmet of salvation protects us from going back to our old ways. How many know that that old nature is right there? Yeah, we're saved. We've been taken out of sin. But the minute that we let go of God, we can slip right back to our default setting. It's amazing how quickly people can come to church, receive Christ, get excited about the things of God, and then go right back into the world, right back into the bar, right back into drinking and drugs and partying. It's such an easy slide. The helmet of salvation protects us from going back to our old ways. 
that, we, we put that on and we cover our thoughts. I, I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. I'm brand new in Christ. The helmet of salvation protects us from our past. All of us have things from our past that when they come into our mind, they haunt us, they mock us, and they make us ashamed. And God wants to deliver us from our past, amen? The enemy would love to place certain failures and things that we've done in our past on a loop over and over again in our minds. But we have to, there again, default to the, the idea that we are new and old things have passed away and that we think differently now. And we think according to God's word, not according to the world. The helmet of salvation protects us from losing hope. When we know that we know that we're saved, no matter what occurs on any given day, we know the worst that can happen is that we die and we go to be in the arms of Jesus for eternity, amen? That's protection for your mind, amen? Amen? The worst thing that can happen to me today is that I go to be with Jesus. I'm going to have a good day, amen? Some days I'm like, take me now, Jesus. Right? You ever get like that? It's a good place to be, amen, because we need to long to be with him more than to stay in this world. Paul said, I, I, I stay here, and it's for your benefit, but if I leave, it's for my benefit. I go to be with Christ, amen? To live, to live this life for Jesus Christ is a privilege, and that helmet protects our thought life. It protects us from our past. It protects us from our old nature. It protects the hope that allows us to focus on the fact that we're saved and we belong to Jesus. Just as with the helmet, we're instructed to take the sword, and it's by a decision of our will that we do these things here. Remember, God is never going to force a helmet on our head, stuff a shield in our hands, and then give us a sword and say, there you go, you're all set. No, we've got to make a, a, a decision of our will. God created us in his image. That means we have a free will. God didn't create robots. But God says that we have to do it like a robot. No, we have to partner with God and say, you know, I surrender to your will, God. I'm going to do, just like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. We've got to surrender our will. And also we have to activate our will to take up these, uh, these parts of the armor here that are for our defense and, and for us uh, overcoming. It's all a decision of our will. We have a free will because we're made in his image. Now listen. When we talk about the helmet of salvation, we were told to take it. When we're told about the sword of the spirit, it's in that same verse there. And we have to take it. We make that decision to take it and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, some saints will gladly pick up a shield and hide behind it. They'll gladly put on the breastplate of righteousness and hide behind it. And, and they'll, they'll take something defensive and protective because it calms their fear makes them feel safe but a lot of saints won't pick up the sword and i'll tell you why because a sword is an offensive weapon in fact the sword is our only offensive weapon it's the weapon that identifies us as a warrior in the sight of the enemy so the minute we pick up the sword we put a target on our backs well, I'll hide behind something, and I'll, I'll hide behind this, and I'll, and I'll have some faith, and I'll you know, hide in the righteousness of Jesusness, but I'm not going to take that sword because the moment I do, I'm going to have to fight with the enemy. Listen to me. I want to tell you something this morning. Whether you pick up the sword or not, the enemy is coming. 
And he's going to fight against you. And he's going to try and destroy your faith. He's going to try to entice you back into the world. He's going to try and get you to give up on the hopes and dreams that God put in your heart. So whether we pick up the sword or not, the fight is still on. If we refuse to pick it up, we just make the battle that much easier for the enemy. So some will take the shield. Some will take the breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, you can shod my feet with whatever you want. I'll cinch up my girdle, but that sword scares me. In the military, in every military conflict in modern history, there's known, there is what's known as the row. And the row means the rules of engagement. The row is very important for the soldiers to understand what they can and cannot do in the theater of conflict. Soldiers who violate the role, the rules of engagement, can be charged with war crimes. You know that, don't you? It's been in our news. We've seen people do things in countries where, you know, you, you can't just do certain things. There, there's rules of engagement. And one of the rules of engagement that's been a longstanding rule, rule in modern times is that you can't shoot an unarmed combatant. So if someone is unarmed, you can't shoot them. You, you can't shoot someone who's surrendering. Hello? So for the Christian who surrenders, or for the Christian who won't pick up the sword, they may feel safe, but listen, our enemy doesn't follow the rules of engagement. He's coming after you whether you'll defend yourself or not. So all of us have to learn to use the sword. Every believer who takes up the sword is immediately got the enemy's attention, and he is coming after us. Now, there are three vital things to know about the sword described in verse 17, and I want to cover them with you this morning. First, I want you to know this. The sword is a real offensive weapon. Amen. Any of you offensive out there? No, I'm just kidding. Some people are raising their hands. Yes. I am very offensive. The sword is an offensive weapon. What does that mean? It means, you know, the shield protects us and the breastplate and all that stuff. It's but the, the sword is what we take and we use to uh, uh, engage the enemy, and we take the fight to the enemy with it. So it is a real offensive weapon. Notice I said that. There are all different kind of swords that people use. There's dress swords and decorative swords and ceremonial swords. Maybe some of you have swords hanging up in your house, or, you know, you've seen it. You went. I, I had a, a friend who used to have a whole, you know, thing hung up with the shield and all that stuff, and I, as a kid I was fascinated with it. But those things are ceremonial. They're dressed. They're, they're not sharp. You can't really do anything with them. I mean, me and my brother used to fight with the paper cardboard tubes at Christmas time. We'd Come on, smile a little bit. Right? That was our sword back then. But, it, you know, the sword of the spirit is not a ceremonial sword. It's not a decorative sword. It's not a dress sword. You'll see soldiers dress up in their dress uniforms and do presentations with the sword. And it, those swords are decorative. They're ceremonial. They're not sharp. They're not for combat. But the sword of the Spirit is, and I want you to understand that, we're not just playing dress-up as Christians. We're not just doing ceremonial. Well, I look like a warrior, but I'm really not. In first service, I talked about that old hymn we used to sing. What is it? The Lord's Army? I will never march in the infantry, shoot the artillery, zoom or the enemy. I may never, but I'm in the Lord's Army. And then we used to march like a bunch of knuckleheads. Can I tell you something about that song? I hate that song. If you don't shoot, you don't fight, you don't zoom, I don't want you in my army. What good are you? What are you doing? 
You're playing dress up. We don't have time for dress up. The enemy's not playing dress up. So this sword that we are given is a real spiritual weapon. It's an offensive weapon. It's one that we have to use to take the fight to the enemy. Now, understand a few things here. David and Goliath show us how to engage the enemy. When David stood before Goliath, here he is, a little shepherd boy. He has no armor on. He has a a couple stones and a sling. Now, as much as a sling was a weapon to gather food back in that day, some did use the sling on the battlefield, and they used it like the archers would. They'd shoot a volley of stones. But a sling was not the weapon that you would bring to single combat when it was one against one. And here's Goliath. He's got this huge spear. The the tip of it is just like massive. He's got a saber between his back. He's got an armor bearer. He's got a sword. The armor bearer had extra weapons for him just in case he wanted to finish you off in in a more delightful way. Here's this guy, a mountain of a man, and David's standing there with a sling and a stone. But he didn't come with the weapons of man. He came with faith in God. He said, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Now, understand something. I want you to take a look at the situation here with David and how it turns out. 1 Samuel 17, just write this down, 1 Samuel 17, 50 through 51. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine in the head and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. Notice that. He had his stone. He had his sling. The word says he knocked him down. The word says he killed him. But he had no sword in his hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and stood and drew his sword out of his sheath and finished him. Say finished. And cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. There's a lot of things to learn here through this. David had a sling, but he had no sword. He was able to knock the enemy down, but he wasn't able to finish him in the eyes of the enemy. So what did he do? He had to run up there and take a sword off of Goliath. Now, I want you to notice something. The the Philistines didn't flee when Goliath got knocked down. They were watching. They were like, they were watching in disbelief. The stone flies, it hits him in the head. He falls down. They're like, oh, come on, Goliath, get up. Come on, get up. They're thinking there's still hope. They don't run away. David runs up to him, takes his own sword and finishes him. And then they go, oh, there's no getting up from that one. And then they run. You and I can knock the enemy down over and over and over again, but we'll never finish him without the sword. Come on, that's good preaching. Make some noise. Well, I don't want to have a sword. I I don't like the sword. The sword makes me a target. Listen, if you won't wield the sword, you're going to fight the same spiritual battles over and over and over again. You'll knock the enemy down, but you won't finish him off. So you've got to take the sword. You've got to wield the sword, and you've got to use it to finish the enemy. Listen, are you tired of struggling with the same personality defects over and over again? Year after year, dishonesty, disloyalty, selfishness, pride. Come on, anybody? Are you tired of dealing with habitual sins, the same sin, over and over again? You you never get any victory. You might push the enemy back a little bit, but he comes back and you succumb again. Are you tired of giving over to twisted thinking and not doing and thinking what God's word says, but doing the, the twisted thinking of the world? 
The only way to knock the enemy down and defeat him is to use the sword. You and I will fight the same spiritual battles over and over again till we learn to wield the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit knocks the enemy down and finishes him off for good. The second thing I want you to know about the sword is this. <coughs> it's not a carnal weapon. It's not a natural weapon. You and I don't need to go to the you know, sword world and buy ourselves a sword. Well, I like this one. It's shiny. I like this one. It's long. I, I like this one. No, you know, if you can see in the spiritual realm, all of us should have a sword on. But in the natural realm, we shouldn't. Hello? If you walk around in public with a sword, I'll be bailing you out of jail, okay? And don't tell them the pastor said to get one. The sword is not a natural weapon. It's not a carnal weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. And, and the validity of that is this. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're not physical. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So this sword that we wield is not a natural sword. And, and, and you get this. It's a spiritual fight. So we have to learn to fight spiritually. Now, Jesus had a few things to say about swords. And I want to cover them with you because... Uh, they're important in, in a study like this that we understand what the carnal use of the sword is for and what the spiritual use is. Amen? Are you following me? Jesus said this about swords. The first thing he had to say is it's, it's wise to be able to protect yourself. Anybody? Luke 22 through 36. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, when I was with you, I kept you safe. I protected you. I, I, I made good decisions for you. Now that I'm going, you, you know, when I sent you out before, no money belt, no staff, no sword. Now, he says, if you don't have a sword, buy one. Uh, sell your coat and get one. What is he saying? He's saying that, Christians have to be able to protect themselves in the natural. That it's not wise or it's not spiritual to make ourselves vulnerable in the natural. Jesus wanted his people to be able to protect themselves. Now, some people are uncomfortable with that, and I understand it, but the word says it nonetheless. It is not wise to not be able to protect your life. Men, it's not wise not to be able to protect your wife and your children, especially in this wicked, violent world that we live in right now. Amen? Now, if you want to be defenseless, you can, but don't blame Jesus or the word. When you show up early, he's like, what are you doing here? We have an, ob we have an obligation to protect righteousness from wickedness. And the Bible doesn't teach passivity, but it does teach self-control, which brings me to the second point. The sword should never be our first response. We live in a violent world. Where violence is the first response of a lot of people. And, you know, they fight at the drop of the hat and they drop the hat themselves. Christians should not be that way. Christians should not bring the sword instantly. It should not be our first reflex. It should be our last resort. Please say amen. Matthew 26 through 54. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. Remember Peter? Peter was not good with the sword. He was swinging and chopping ears off. They came to get Jesus, and Peter's like, <laughs> Jesus is like, put the sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. What, what does that boil down to? If you live by the sword, you'll die by it. 
Violent people meet violence as their end. We should not be reflexively violent. We should be able to protect ourselves. We should be able to protect righteousness from wickedness. But the sword should never be our first response. Amen, Pastor. The sword described in our text here is a spiritual instrument. It's called the sword of the spirit. Duh. Right? Well, you know, I got me a sword and I'm practicing with my sword. Listen, you and I need the Holy Spirit to use the sword properly. When you use the sword without the Holy Spirit, you do a Peter and you chop ears off. And Jesus has to rebuke you. Peter, put the sword away. You know, uh, it's not the time for it. It's not the place for it. And so we need the Holy Ghost to use the sword correctly. Jesus made it clear it's unwise for us to leave ourselves completely defenseless in the natural realm. It's, you know, it's even more irresponsible and reckless for us to leave ourselves completely defensive in the spiritual realm that we we have no offensive weapon when the enemy comes to tempt us or to attack us or entice us we have nothing to ward him off god didn't intend it to be that way that's why he provided us a spiritual weapon now we're in ephesians 6 17 but let's not so quickly forget ephesians 6 12 Ephesians 6.12 that we already covered says, For we wrestle not against what? But against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our battle is not a carnal battle. It's not a flesh battle. It's not person against person. It's us against the spiritual realm, against demonic things and principalities and powers. And yeah, those things express themselves through people, but you, as I taught through Ephesians 6, 12, <coughs> you don't win the war by beating people. You win the war by overcoming principalities. And you use the sword of the Spirit to do it. We're going to find out how to do that as we conclude here. But understand, we, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not. It's spiritual. So we're going to have to learn of the Holy Spirit how to use the sword of the spirit, because we're in a spiritual fight. We need the Holy Ghost to rise up in us, to give us discernment, to help us to identify our true enemies. Our world is working so hard to divide us. And remember, we can't have unity with the wicked, but we shouldn't divide ourselves from the righteous. Right now, I see the church completely fragmented. The world is saying, oh, unity, we need unity. You Christians, just back down on all your religious stuff and just have unity with us. I'm sorry, there can never be any unity with darkness and light. Amen? And if you want to unify with the wicked, basically you're going to, connect your, you're going to disconnect yourself from God and reconnect yourself with the world. Look, I can't tolerate just a little abortion or just a little sexual immorality or just a little bit of, uh, you know, stealing and feed no i can't i can't do it that's not how the light shines in the darkness so that one cry for unity is a trap it's a trick but there needs to be unity in the church and it's amazing to me how the church doesn't have the mind of christ how the church is fragmented how the church wants to fight over political parties to pick which devil in the in the suit that they're going to vote for and think that you know that's going to fix the problem now trust me we need to vote for righteousness if there is any, but there could come a time where there's no one to vote for. <laughs> and it's fast approaching. 
So I vote for Jesus. And I vote for biblical values. And I vote to stand on the word of God against the tide of wickedness in this world. You say, Pastor, how are you going to do that? I'm going to need the sword of the spirit. I'm going to need an offensive weapon. Oh, hello, it's so quiet out there. I'm going to have to bring my water gun to church. Yeah, that would be great. One Sunday, I'm just going to kill it out front there. Find somebody sleeping and just soak them down. We're in a spiritual fight. Peter misused his sword. He got rebuked. It's by the Holy Spirit we learn to use it properly. Amen. I want to use it properly to put the enemy in his place. I don't want to use it to hurt people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not a carnal weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. Number three, the last thing I want to talk about this morning is the sword of the spirit, according to this text, is the written word of God. It's God's word. Amen. You got your Bible with you this morning? If you got your Bible, wave it at me this morning. If it's on your phone, wave your phone at me. If it's in your heart, wave your heart. No, I'm just kidding. (coughs) It's the written word of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the text clearly tells us. So there's no, you know, there's, there's no fighting over this. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So after we apply all the symbolism of how this text relates to the use of a sword in the natural, it all boils down to this. Listen carefully. Our sword, our most lethal spiritual weapon is the written word of God. That's how we're going to knock the enemy down and beat him for good. Amen. I'm not saying that he's not going to come back a different way or tempt you in different ways, but some battles we need to win decisively so we're not fighting the same old battles over and over again. That's why he gave us the sword of the spirit. Now, Jesus showed us exactly how to use the written word of God in a spiritual fight. Remember, Jesus was fasting for 40 days, 40 days, 40 days. Most of us can't go without food for 40 minutes. Pastor Mike and I were talking, Italians start to die after 20 minutes if we don't eat. Anybody? I need bread. I need oil. I need mozzarella. Amen. Now you're getting excited. Easy, easy. We got to finish service here. So Jesus, no food for 40 days alone in the desert. Amen. Low is our word today. We're never alone. Jesus was alone. And the devil sees him worn out, hungry, beaten up and alone. He says, now, now's the perfect time to attack him. Understand our enemy is picking the, the ground that he wants to engage us on. When we're weak, when we're tired, when we're worn out, when we're disillusioned. Does that sound like where we're at after almost a year of quarantine? Come on. People are worn out. They're disillusioned. They, 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 they develop bad patterns. They haven't been in church. They haven't been in the word. And so the enemy comes and he comes at Jesus and he says, you know, if you be the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Now imagine you're hungry. You're Jesus you can do it. He could turn that bread, uh, that stone into a bagel with lox and cream cheese. Oh. But Jesus does what? Say, oh, that's a good idea. No. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the enemy comes at it again in Matthew 4, 7. And Jesus' response to his attack is, it is written again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Then the enemy comes at him one last time. And Jesus' response, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, 
and with him only shall I serve. So <coughs> three attacks, three responses. Every response, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now, Jesus could have said, listen, devil, you know who I am. You know what authority I have. You know who my father is. You know what I'm going to do, right? He, he didn't give his credentials. He didn't tell the, the enemy who he was. He didn't say, you know, I read my Bible every day. I pray a lot. No, he didn't do any of that. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He did that to show us how to fight spiritually because all of us can do the same thing. We don't have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and say, I've been a good boy this week. I haven't sinned in a while. Uh, you know, I had, you know, I, I, I read the word every, no, we don't have to go in our own strength. We go in the strength of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, amen, and we quote scripture to the enemy in our, in our situation. When the enemy says, you're, you're not changed, you're the same old person, you're, you're, you're never going to change, you're never going to get free, you can say, it, it is written that, you know, I'm a new creation, all things have passed away, all things have become new. When the enemy comes and says, you can't do it, you can't fulfill the word of God, you, you'll never be anything, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, you use the written word. That's how we fight, that's how we use the sword. You say, well, you know, I'm not sure what to say. Well, take a pause and go to this. And the Holy Spirit will show you what to say. And then the next time the enemy comes at you and attacks your mind, I hope your helmet's on, but somehow he gets there, and you can come at him with the word. Don't come at him in your own strength. Don't come at him in, in, in your religious duty. Don't come at him with works. I've been good. I go to church. I'm the pastor. He doesn't care. It is written. It is written. The written word of God is our weapon, and we bring it to bear against the enemy in a spiritual fight. <coughs> now, two final thoughts here. Oh, one thing, check this out. In Matthew 4, 6, the devil actually tries to use the word of God against Jesus. Check this out. And he said unto him, this is the enemy talking, if you be the son of God, well, the chutzpah on this guy, Cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thy at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So the devil tries to use the word against the word. He's stupider than we thought. You know, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was made flesh. Jesus is the word. The enemy tries to use word. What does that show? It shows he understands the spiritual principle. The way to fight battles is with the word. He even tries to use it against Jesus. Do we know the word? Do we quote the word? Do we use the word? Or do we have no sword? Or do we leave it in our sheath? Two final thoughts to conclude this. It is very hard for us to say it is written at the appropriate times if we haven't taken the time to find out what's been written. <laughs> I can never quote a scripture I've never read. You say, well, pastor, maybe the Holy Spirit will rise up and just put it in your brain when you need it. Hasn't happened yet. But there's been times where I'm in a fight or I'm ministering to somebody or I'm trying to bring someone into the kingdom and the Holy Spirit brings a scripture out of my heart and then through my mouth that I didn't even remember I remembered. You ever have that? And it's coming out and you're going, I don't even remember that. 
Why? Because every time we put this in here and the Holy Spirit tucks it in here, it's in us like a well. But it's hard to say it is written if we don't know what is written. That's why, you know, with all the distractions we have in this life, we need to make time for the word. You know, if at all possible, start your day off with scripture. I start my day off with the word and just take a little bit at a time and meditate on it. And, and I'm outlining my way through the entire New Testament. Very soon I'll have have commentary on the entire New Testament. You say, what does that do? It, it, it gets it in here so it can get in here. You can do that. It doesn't take a genius, amen. You might read some of my commentary and go, I don't, I don't think that's what it means. But it's what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. You see, the thing is that we have to take the time to ingest massive amounts of this because we can't bring the word to the fight if the word's not in us. And it's hard to say it is written when we don't know what it is that is written. Are you consuming the word daily? Are you putting good stuff in your spirit daily? God knows the things that are on our screens, on our phones, our TVs, our computers. That's the opposite of good stuff. That's spiritual junk food, amen? National Geographic ran an article on the Alaskan bull moose. And if the only bull moose you know is Rocky and Bullwinkle, then let's learn a little bit of something today. But a bull moose is an amazing, majestic animal. A male bull moose can be well over 2,000 pounds. They stand so tall that if you, you hit them, they can collapse on your car. In places like Vermont and stuff, people get killed by these moose because they're so big. National Geographic wrote this article. The male species uh, of the bull moose battles for dominance every fall, literally by going head-to-head, -head, smashing their antlers together, fighting for the right to breed. Often their antlers, their only weapon, get broken during these intense battles. And when they break, their defeat is ensured. They will never pass on their genetics. They will never be the top bull. The biggest moose with the largest and strongest antlers usually wins. Therefore, the battles that are fought in the fall are won or lost during the summertime, depending on what and how much that moose eats. Those that don't eat enough of the right things will have smaller, weaker antlers that will fail them in battle. They'll develop less body mass and strength, and they'll have low endurance, so they'll lose. The spiritual application for us is this. All of us have spiritual battles that we're going to face in our future. Satan will choose the moment of attack. We will win or lose depending on how much of the right spiritual food we're eating right now. Are you in the word? Are you getting the right stuff? Amen. Are you meditating on it? Are you allowing it to strengthen you? If not, when the fight is on, you may not win. And it's as simple as that. How did I fall for the same thing again? How did I do that? I knew better. I should have never. Why did I not get enough spiritual food? Not having enough strength to be an overcomer. Immersion is the only way to get the word of God in us. It's not osmosis. You can't, well, Pastor, I'm going to sleep on the Bible, and I'm going to hope that it gets to me. Or I'm just going to wear it on my head all day and hope that some of it, I'm going to just rub it on my heart. Or rub it on your belly. Rub it wherever you want. It's not going to work. you got to read it and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it and get it in you. Amen? There's no other way. Uh, sitting here is a good way to sit under the word. I'm constantly studying, I'm constantly preaching, 
And when I'm in the car, I'm listening to messages. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and I'm coughing. Nobody likes a dry preacher. But I'm getting the word in me all the time. I make sure that I'm getting fed <coughs> so I can feed you. Immersion is the only way. And we have to do it with a right heart. Listen to this. A right heart under the careful instruction of the Holy Spirit before we can wield the sword correctly. <coughs> Father, help us to approach your word the right way. To not just read it out of sense of spiritual duty, but to read it with the right heart. Oh, God, I read my five chapters today. It would be better to read five verses and let the Holy Spirit illuminate it. Holy Spirit, help us to get the word in us so that we can wield the sword of the Spirit. And like Jesus say, it is written, it is written, that we would do more than just knock the enemy down or push him back, but that we start to learn to win spiritual battles. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise. Praise God.